0: Hi! I'm taking a bit of a break from recording classes for the next few weeks, so in the meantime, I will republish some of the older ones that I think you will enjoy and find interesting. For today's class, we will explore how we can learn about the public presence of women in a given society by examining how various commentators understood the story of Dina. We'll witness a difference between Ashkenaz Inspired, expressed both in biblical commentary as well as in halachic norms. So we're going to begin tonight... By looking at seven of the Rishonim, all of whom lived during the 12th and 14th centuries, commenting on the story of Dina, on the opening pasach of the story of Dina. You know, in this week's Parsha, we learn about Tetzai Dina, that Dina went out, and as a result, she was raped by Shechem Chamoir, And uh, the entire story is, is reported in the Torah. We're going to learn it in the Chitas on Thursday. As we're gonna read these seven commentators, we're gonna find that there's going to be a common theme that runs through all seven of them. And I'll tell you before we start reading what the common theme is going to be. The common theme is going to be, and it's okay if it makes you feel uncomfortable. The common theme we're gonna find is a dissatisfaction and a discomfort with the idea of the woman leaving the home. In other words, what they're gonna find the problem in this story of Dina is The the fact that she left home in and of itself was problematic. So let's read these seven sources and see the way they expressed them. We're going to begin with the Rambam's son. The Rambam had one son, his name was Reb Avram and uh, he wrote a commentary to the Torah. Interestingly this commentary was unknown for many many years and uh, it wasn't studied uh, widely after his passing and it was not printed when books started first being printed for a very long time. Um, there is a non-Jew whose name was Robert Huntington, who in the 1600s went from England to Syria on some sort of mission for the church. And when he was there, he became very interested in old manuscripts that were in the Jewish community of Aleppo. It turns out that he brought back with him, and today this is all in the Bodleian Library in Oxford, he brought back with him many different manuscripts that he purchased over there. So, for example, we're all familiar with the Rambam's drawing of the menorah. How do we have the Rambam's drawing of the menorah? We have it because it's in the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnah, and the original autograph copy of the Rambam's uh, commentary to the the Mishnah was in Syria. Why was it in Syria? The theory goes that the Rambam had a great-grandson a few generations down where they left Egypt, where they were living, and they moved to Syria. Likewise, in a previous class, we once spoke about that there's a safer Madan Ava of Mishnah Torah, And in this, Madanava Mishnah Torah, though it wasn't handwritten by the Rambam, it was handwritten by a scribe, but Rambam put his signature on it and said that this was edited against my master copy. This too was in Aleppo, part of this collection, and Huntington bought these manuscripts and he brought it back with him and they survived probably because of him in the Badling Library in Oxford. So one of the -the Kisve that Huntington bought was also a Ksav Yad that turned out, I don't know if he knew then, but it turns out, that it's a commentary written by the Rambam's son on the Torah. It was printed for the first time in 1958. Let's see what he has to say on the Pasuk of Atetze Dina. So he says as follows, hamikra. The reason that the Torah says, she bas asher Why does it say in the Torah that she is the daughter of Leah? In other words, why are we giving her the lineage over here? Everyone knows who Dina is. We know who her mother is. We know who her father is. Why are we referencing her mother and her father? All of the Nefarshim have this question. So he says, it's Larame's. it's to tell you, she nisr- she bishmi rasa. because they neglected to guard her properly. It was just inappropriate the way they kind of uh, weren't guarding her, weren't protecting her. And because of the fact that they kind of weren't guarding her, that's why this happened. And therefore, it's a lesson for any person who has Torah ethics. You really, you really need a guard and watch and make sure the women are protected. What does he mean here when he says, make sure the women are protected? So we think we know what he means. The idea is that women shouldn't be Going out, and if they are going out, they should be protected with a male companion, etc., etc. Number two, she go and, oh, so what's his point here? So that's why it says her parents, why is it mentioning her parents to say that they didn't do a good job? They should have been watching her. That's why it mentions Leah, and that's why it mentions Yaakov. Next up, Evan Ezra, who lived earlier. Uh, the Avram Ben Arambam is writing in Egypt uh, sometime in the 1200s, we assume. Evan Ezra is writing in the 1000s, maybe the 1100s. Eleven hundred. Eleven Ezra writes as follows: One word, atsma, on her own. She went out on her own. It's hard to know exactly what it means, but he seems to be saying that he, she went out on her own without permission, without authority, by herself, and that in and of itself was a problem. Next, number three, Rabbi Yaakov ben Abba Mari Anatoli, not a very well-known rabbi. Uh, he lives. Uh, he lives. What are his dates? Is 1194 to 1256. Although he never met the Rambam, he was a student in thought of the Rambam, very much a philosopher. And he wrote a sefer called Ma'amud HaTalmidim. A ma'amud is in the Lushan of the Mishnah. ma'amud means a goat. It's the stick that the shepherd uh, carries to uh, guide the animal to make sure it stays in, his, uh, in the proper path. So he called his sefer Ma'amud HaTalmidim. Like this sefer is going to keep you in line, is going to keep you straight. And it basically... It goes through all of the Torah and it's like in a Rambam style giving an allegorical meaning to many of the different interpretations of the Torah. He was related but through marriage to the famous family of Ibn Tibbins. This is the family that translated the Rambam's works from Arabic into Lashana HaKodesh, who lived in Provence. So he married into that family. Look what he says. Sipur Dina Vahanim The story of Dina It teaches you important things the first thing it teaches you, he is that when the young girls are going out this way and that way, it causes problems. So he's number three that fits this theme. Number four, Abenu Baaya, Abenu Bachaya and the next three rabbis that we're going to look at are all Talmudim of the Rashba. They all lived pretty much. they ended their lives in the mid-1300s in. They ended their lives in the mid-1300s in Spain. Rabbeinu Bachaya is probably. The most famous of the next three, he, the, he's the one who wrote a famous commentary on the Torah. Look what he writes. The inyun the story of the so he writes as follows. The Torah is not happy when a woman is going out. Rather, Kishit snua voyedis when she is um, discreet and modest at home, then of then the Torah praises it. And here he invokes the pasik, Kokfuda Penima." the honor of the daughter of the king is inward. And then he quotes the pasik about Sarah. Where was Sarah when the Malachin came? Hine Ba'al, she's in the tent. Same idea. And therefore he concludes the woman. Uh, should be in the home, it's not at the door of the home, so that she shouldn't be seen by passerby. Next, Rabbi Yaakov Sekili, not so well known, he writes in the Agdama of his Sefer, his Sefer is called Tairas Hamincha. why is it called Tairas Hamincha? Because he says that he was asked to give drashas in Shul, in Spain, in the mid-1300s, he was asked to give drashas every Shabbos during Mincha time, so then he wrote down his drashas and he called it Tairas Ha Mincha, and in the Sefer, we have the date that he wrote it in the year 13, 1337, but it was again only printed for the first time in Tafsha Aleph in 1991, the first time it was printed. What is he right there? Dina, about Dina. She did something wrong. What did she do wrong? She went to take a walk to check out the girls of the land, and therefore, this evil happened on her. Now, I don't believe this rabbi or any of the other rabbis are trying to say, that. therefore, what Shem did was justified. In fact, all of them know the continuation of the Torah. The continuation of the the Torah are very clear that the entire city was wiped out and punished because of the rapes. In other words, the rape is not justified. Uh, But they are comfortable having that truth in their head at once, and then at the same time, pointing fingers, and in this case, pointing fingers to who? To Dina, and why? Just for the very fact that she left her home. Number six, Rabbi Yeshua Ibn Shuib. He too, like Rabbi Yaakov Sakili and, and like Rabbeinu Bahaya, lived in the same time and also was a student of the Rashba. He also gave drushes, and he, uh, uh, these uh, uh, he writes as follows. The woman should be modest. She shouldn't go out. As it says, the fact that she went out caused the whole story. And now, the final of the seven sources is the Raabag. Raabag is Reb Levi Ben Gershom. And Reb Levi Ben Gershom is living at the same time period, at the same time period as all the other rabbis that we're talking about, more or less. And he's known more as a philosopher. He wrote a lot of works on Jewish philosophy and astronomy, even in, in if I believe, I think I read, that there's a crater on the moon that's named after him because he was a chashva astronomer that's recognized even today. He also wrote a commentary on the Torah. What's interesting about his commentary is, I guess he was dealing with the problem. Why are all these stories necessary? Why are they relevant? And so, beside for the commentary at the end of each section, however he defines a section, yeah, he, he has what's called the toyelios. The toyelios are the benefits. What are the benefits of studying this? And I'll list sometimes 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, many, many lessons that a person could learn. So, one of the toyelios that he has in Parsha Sayyishlach, Hatoyelas Haravi, the fourth one, shane Roy, Leisha, Shetate, she and a so woman shouldn't go out of the home. Look what happened to Dinah. When she went out, her whole father's house was in jeopardy because of the war that happened over here. Right? Remember what happened when the brothers kill out? Shechem? Yaakov says that we're in danger. So uh, all of this negativity all resulted from the story of uh, of Dina's going out. So here we have a very strong common denominator between all seven of these sources. They're just dissatisfied. They're not happy. They're not comfortable with the idea of women generally leaving the home. Now, what's another common denominator between all seven of these sources? So you may have noticed that all seven of these sources are Sfard related, are Sfard related. So Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, he comes from Sfard and then moves to another Islamic country to Egypt. Even Ezra, is uh, he moved around a lot in life, but he definitely, his roots are in Sfard. Rabbi Yaqub ben Abba, Mari Anatoly and Reblevi Ben Gershom are from Provence. So let's talk for a moment about Provence because I need to make the case to you that Provence and Sfard are very much related. Sometime in the, uh, you know, Spain, when, when, during this period of time when Spain was under the rule of Muslims, there was a time when the Almohads took over. And this is the famous time when the Rambam leaves. Why does the Rambam leave? Oh, because they were such fanatics and they didn't let Jews practice their Yiddish kind. Where did the Rambam run? He went south. He went to Morocco, and from there he's made his way to, to Eretz Israel, and then to Mitzrayim. Just like some Jews left Spain and went into North Africa as a way of running away from, uh, from Spain. This is in the 12th century. There were some Jews that went north. They went to Provence, this area in southern France, and they, and they camped out there. And so there are many Svardisha families that moved there. This includes Rabbi Levi ben Gershem. This includes Rabbi Yaakov ben Abba Mari. And therefore, in many ways, not at all, but in many ways, the influence of Svard was very strong in there, in terms of secular studies and in terms of many other uh, aspects as well. And so therefore, uh, for these two rabbis, we can also talk about Svard influence. Rabbi Yaakov Sekilin, and Ibn shuib all three of them are the Talmud of the Rashba. They're also from Svard. Okay, so that's interesting. All seven of these sources are what we would call Swardi sources. Okay, very well. But now we have to open up the Svarim and let's look at the same time period at the Ashkenazi commentators on the Torah. When we, what are we talking about when we say the Ashkenazi commentators on the Torah? So Rashi, Rashbam, Chizkuni, Daskenim, Abalea Hadar Hadarskenim, and a few others. And what we find is as follows. Number one, some of them don't talk at all about this issue. Some of them do, but they only quote Midrashim. And now I need to highlight for you all seven of these quotes that we learned. Was not rabbis quoting Midrashim. They were using their own words. They were writing their own message in their own language. And we don't find and I was not able to find any of that in any of the classic commentators that were living in Ashkenaz at the time. We don't find anything of this sort, we do find them bringing some midrashim, and we'll see that soon, but using their own language and talking about this value, we don't see that, so that's an interesting thing that we're going to need to explore. Now if you go a little further, the truth is, if you go back to the, the zone of Medrish, which comes before these rishonim, you'll notice that in Medrash there's also two voices, there's also two voices on this issue. The first voice that we're going to see is the Medrish Tanchuma, and the Medrish Tanchuma's voice is very similar. To the Sfarda Should Why? Because you're gonna see that the Medish Tan is consistent. When he talks about this, he has a problem with women leaving the home in and of itself. So let's see the examples. So here's a Medish Tanchum, parshafa Yishlach, where it says as follows: a woman should stay home, she shouldn't go to the street. Shalai Tosh al which would cause problems for herself. She shouldn't cause problems for men. Because they're then going to be gazing upon a married woman. That's one teaching. Next teaching. Amr ab Yehuda bar shalom. The evidence for this. Sharei dina bas Dina bishfil shaysa regila padronis. Because she, padronis is an interesting word, to go out and to walk around. Therefore, garma takala atma. She caused this problem for herself. What do you see in these teachings? In and of itself, outwardness is a problem. Another Medrash Tanchuma, this one in Vayishlach Vav, says as follows, Vatei Tzidina Basleya, that's no good. Zeo Shao Kokfuda Basmelech Prima. We don't want Vatei Saidina. We want it to be Kokfuda Basmelech Prima. This is what this Tanchuma says. The next Tanchuma, Vatei Tzidina Basleya, Bas Why is it called Basleya? Why is it not called Bas Yakoi? So Akosov, the Torah is linking her to her mother, Ma just like Leah went out, Avzu so to went out. Um where do we see that Leah went out? In the story when the the story of the dudoim, Leah goes out toward Yaakov and greets him in the field. So we see that Leo went out. Continues the Medrish and says, Leroy, she went to look you know something? You could read that word, if you change the Nekudois, Lirois, you could change it Leiraois, to be seen. It says that, and the Medrash now almost is like talking to Dina. Bekashto Lirois, you wanted to see, but guess what? Vinira, you were seen. In other words, what's the thrust of this Medrash? Going out is a problem, number one, and being seen is a problem. Yeah, you went to see, but the very fact that you were seen is a problem. So this voice of the Tanchuma fits very much with the voice that we saw from all of those Svard and Provence Rishonim. However, when we look at the bracious Rabbah, in one way, some ways what we're going to see now is a little more shocking. But on the other hand, I'm also going to show you that even though the material material here is a little more shocking, but it also offers a different perspective on this question of, is a woman leaving the home? Okay. So these are two different collections of midrashim. It's hard to sometimes know when exactly... Uh, where exactly and in what the date for each one of these madrashim, that's like a very complicated subject that we're going to have to leave uh, for another time. It says, Breshis Raba as follows. There's a Pasek in Yecheskel that has, it's a condemnation of Am Yisrael. And basically it's saying that, alayich, all the people who are going to give a mushal who are going to want to say, about the suffering of the Jews and the sins of the Jews, Yimshalemar, they're gonna say the following mushal. What are they gonna say? Keima Bita. The mother and the daughter are the same. The daughter is similar to the mother. What was the Navi trying to say? Who's the mother? Kanan, the of the mother. They came before us. And the Yidden were are the daughter. It's almost as if they gave birth to us. We came after. So keima Bita, you're doing Avay they did Avaidazara. So that's what the Mashalim are gonna say. Yo, you think you're a new generation, the new generation comes forward. Yeah, we have new ideas, we're gonna be better. And then we end up exactly like our parents, right? So, Ki'im Abita is what it's saying over here that the people the, the people who are, are experts at, 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 at saying these Misholim, they're going to say that Am Yisrael is exactly like the predecessors of the Knan. Okay. Now, in that Pasik, we have a very long, interesting teaching. We're only going to do a little bit of it. So, there is a rabbi by the name of Yoisi, that's probably a place, and Tirgame, he explains this Pasik as follows. Lace torta, you don't have a cow, a gisha, that's goring, ad debarta be'ita. Um, barta is this daughter and be'ita is, an, is another form of goring. In other words, we shouldn't expect from a cow anything else than that its daughter will also be a goring cow. Let me say that again. We shouldn't expect from a goring mother cow anything but that her daughter should be a similarly goring cow. And then he continued and said, Lace it's a zanya, a woman in terms of prostitution, same thing, don't expect anything else from a woman prostitute, add the barta zanya, that anything other than her daughter being a prostitute too. Basically, the children follow the role of the parents. Now, look at the shocking thing that the rabbis tell, Yoisime Oina. They say, and that's by the way, the Lashon of the pasach, ki bita, the daughter is similar to the mother. So Amrulay, they said, in Cain, Leo Imenu Zaina haisa Are you saying that Leo Imenu is a Zaina? Now what's the what's embedded into this question? It's what's so obvious is that Dina is, is acting like a Zaina. And but a daughter could only be like a mother. So if so, a daughter can only be like a mother, if you're right that a daughter, a daughter always reflects a mother, so we all know Dino is a Zaina. So now you're telling us that it had to be Leia too. Do you really want to say that? Amar Lahan, he said yes. Indeed, Leah went out. And what, how did she go out? She went adorned as if she were. And that's why her daughter went out. Okay, this is a shocking medrash. The Shaki medrash in the way it's speaking about Dina, The a shocking medrash the way it's speaking about Leah. Because it's making an argument and saying that they did something inappropriate. But I need you to also realize something else. What was inappropriate? Not the etzem yetziah. That's some going out. This medrash doesn't have a problem with it. In fact, in order to have a problem, and had to say that something else went on. That the way they went out was inappropriate because those mikushatas Kazoina somehow dressed inappropriately, however we're going to understand that. The idea of exiting in and of itself doesn't seem to bother this medrash. This is the B'reishas Rabbah. Let's go to the next piece in, Bre- in B'reishas Rabbah. And here we'll see both sides. So first, we'll see the first side. In the name of Rablevi, he said. So, echad, really, when the Medrash does this, it means echad is a mushal to a person, shahoyah litra, echad shah he had in his, hand. in his hand. A, a measurement, this is a Roman measurement of a pound, of meat, but it's concealed. V'kivin shagala but when he uncovered it, the vulture came, v'chat and grabbed the meat from him. Dina went out, so right away what happened? She was exposed. This voice in the Medrash is similar to the Tanchuma voice. This voice in the Medrash is saying the very fact that it was uncovered, the very fact that she went out was in and of itself a problem. Now look what happens. Immediately another rabbi comes in and says, hold on a second, which the Mufarsham say, what this means is that Dina exposed her arm. So in other words, I know you just said a very nice, Marshall, the fact that the meat was uncovered, boom, someone came to take it, but hold on, let me explain. Something not modest happened, something unusual happened. Not the going out in and of itself was the problem, but the fact that Dina did something inappropriate. So it's like, on the one hand, when you're reading these and you're like, I don't know, it sounds a little odd to speak about Dina and Leah as doing things that are inappropriate, okay? Whereas in the Tanchuma, it didn't speak about that language of, showing body parts and, and and dressing up like a zayna. You don't have that language. So, But on the other hand, Tanchuma is saying, I don't like women leaving. And two of the voices in the bracious Rabbah, yes, there is another one, but at least two of the voices in the Brecious Rabbah, the only way they are willing to condemn Dina is if we say she did something unusual in terms of how, uh, in how she dressed. And so that's interesting in terms of seeing this tension already in the Midrashim. And I'm arguing that we see a similar tension by the Rishonim as well. That for the Sephardim, they are in sync with this Tanchuma and um, they're embracing it and they're using, they're lending their own language to it, which is very important when you lend your own language to something. That means it's really it's really your thing. The Ashkenazim uh, barely quote from the Tanchuma. Barely quote from the Tanchuma. If they're quoting, it's from the bracious Rabbah. Okay. And never, almost never, using their own language and their own words and their own musr into this, into this discussion. In fact, we have this interesting genre of later midrashim. And that is, they're midrashim that people wrote it under the title of midrash. But really, it's commentaries from the Rishonim. But they're collections of midrashim. Meaning, one of the people living in the era of the Rishonim made a collection of teachings from the midrashim. There's a nice sampling of these and the common denominator of all of them that are relevant for this discussion is that they're not from Sfarad. They're from Italy, they're from Ashkenaz, maybe from Greece, but they're not from Sfarad. And we see that they, on the one hand, they need to quote these Midrashim, that's their job, they summarize Midrashim. And you'll see that they go out of their way to say that Dina acted inappropriately. And again, initially it's like, why are you doing that? But it could be what's happening over here is because to say that in and of itself there was an issue with Dina going out, that, that they didn't want to do that. To say there was no problem, they didn't want to do that either. To say, oh, everything's perfect and fine, they didn't want to do that. For some reason, there's this very strong tendency that something went wrong or some wrong behavior happened. The only question is, is it the wrong behavior of the etzem going out or is it the wrong behavior of the way she went out? So let's look at two examples. The first example is from Leptuvia ben Eliezer. He has a medrash that's called Lekachtoid. Uh It's generally assumed that he lived sometime in the 10 hundreds, either either in Greece or in Ashkenaz. And uh, his medrash is called Lekak Sometimes it's called Psikta Zutrasa. And look what he writes. Lirois Bivnois She went to see. Well, actually, not to see. Yatsa Laharois. It's doing this drasha. Lirois Laharois. Now, when the Tantchoman did it, it just meant to say, you thought you're going to see. It ended up happening that you got seen. He's doing something else here. He's saying she went. Lirois Bivnois No, Yatsas, the reason she went out was Laharois Yafya. That's similar to the Bracious Rabbah school. Mikushetas Kazaina, gila's roya. And here, she went out to show her beauty. Ah, okay, so that was an issue. Another example, Reb Nachem ben Shloyma. This is a medrash called Seichal Toit. He's assumed to be from the 12th century and an Italian. And he writes as follows. bita, meaning leah's daughter went out. Mikushetas adorned lepritzos in an immodest way. verasa Kazaina, and she looked like her and why'd she go out? <laughs> to show her beauty. So here we see in these non-Sephardic uh, anthologies of, of Midrashim, they are, they are, uh, they're careful, it seems, to use this version of the B'raish Rabba. And here I'll say, when you do have one of the Rishonim who brings from the Midrashim and therefore is condemning Dina, it's in this sprach. It's in the sprach of the B'raish Rabbah. So in other words, to summarize the difference between the Rishonim in Svart and Ashkenaz in two ways. Ashkenaz use their own language. Rishonim and Ash, use their own language. The Rishonim and Ashkenaz did not in this topic, as far as I can tell. I can't say I looked at every single source, but I looked at many. Number one. Number two, when the Rishonim do bring the Midrashim, rather than bringing the Midrashim that make it sound like in and of itself there was a problem going out, the Midrashim that they bring is that Dina went out in an inappropriate way. Either she was overdressed in this way or underdressed in that way or whatever it is. Now, let's do this. I want to show you. That really, this difference, actually, you can see in halacha as well, in halachic sources too. I'm going to show you halachic sources from Sfard, and you're going to see it's going to match up very well with the Sfardy approach to this uh, whole discussion. In other words, we're going to see in halacha a tendency for the Sfardim to be talking about women should not be going out. And then we'll look at contemporaneous sources from the same time in Ashkenaz, and we're going to see that they have a whole different approach to this. So Namish, the difference in how we're looking at Dina and how we're touching Dina, it reflects itself in halacha as well. All right. There's a very famous passage of Rambam. Okay. And think about what the Rambam's son wrote uh, that we opened the class with as we're reading this passage of Rambam and it's Hilchis issues Peret Gimel. So he starts off by saying that every woman has the right to go visit her father's house. Uh, can go to a house of mourning, can go to a wedding, uh, to bestow kindness on her friends and relatives. Uh, after all, she wants them to reciprocate for her. And then he says the words, she's not in jail. She's not incarcerated, that she shouldn't be able to be immobile, She should that she shouldn't be able to move. However, then the Rabbam continues and says what I think is a rather famous paragraph. Famous, infamous, however you want to say it. It says, Avo Hu Le'isha, it is very, very big gnai for a woman shatia yoytza tamid pam b'chutz pam b'chodesh to be going out constantly to the streets. Noya ishtam is that a husband should hold his wife back from this? Remember what his son said. The loyani khan Allah says, don't let her out. Elak my pam achas b'chodesh once a month. Oy pamayn b'chodesh or twice a month. Yafi <speaking in> hatsoidch <Hebrew> in accordance with what is necessary. Why she ain't yoyfi liisha leleche base a woman. She belongs in the corner of her home, and he quotes the Pasik, <laughs> "Kol kuda, bas melech p'nim. And I'll tell you an amazing thing: the Rabbi Yisakhar, when he wrote to Shulchan Aruch, very often paraphrased the Ramban, and this whole thing he left out. It's fascinating. He left out this whole thing. What's interesting is, and by the way, the Tor quotes this word for word. So the Tor, the Rosh son, Rabbi Yaakov, turim, he quoted this word for word. The Mechaber following the Tor, and he used the system, and used that ignored the tour and ignored the Rambam and didn't discuss this at all in Shulchanar. Came along the Rama and said, Epes darf min ya, something you need to have here. So the Rama put in one line, not this whole once a month, two months, but the Rama put in a line. You know, it's a, there's a value here, whatever. And in three, four words, the Rama mentioned something uh, briefly. Stan, That's an interesting thing. The Rama, the Ashkenazi, came in to put the, to, to fix what the Makhabra left out. Why the Makhabra left it out is an interesting question. What do you see here? Here you see a strong... Value of tsnius, the way it was understood then by the Rambam and applied then, was this idea. She's not going out. So if you have this Rambam in Halacha talking about this value, would there be any surprise that his son would look at the story of Vatei Dina and say, yeah, what happened? Where were the men protecting that this shouldn't happen? It's like such an obvious link between the Halacha here and, uh, uh, and, uh, and the Parshanut on Dina. Let's look at a chuvah of the Ritva. The ritzvah is also from that same generation of those three rabbis, the students of the Rashba. He's Mamish living in the same time in Spain. And look what he he addresses the following question. You had a shaila, where basically a husband and wife got into a dispute that needed to be brought in front of a bastion. And the the woman is over here being sued. And so she wants to basically hire, in a halakhic language, you would call it an apotropos. But in our language, she would want to hire a lawyer. That she shouldn't have to come to court, and if she would have a lawyer who would represent her interests in court in the case against her husband, the details of this case we do not know. So the question was is this okay? So turn the page, look at the top of number three, of the page number three. Chuva, here's the answer. Da says the Ritva kibidin nitpa in the case of someone who's being sued im mimmana im lahav. There's a dispute amongst the rishonim. If you're sued in court, are you allowed to hire a lawyer? It uses here the word and This is a word that the Tamadir Yerushalmi uses. The background is bekitzer as follows: a it's not, uh, uh, um, it, it's discussing over there, the Kayan Gadol, who could be sued in court. So the Gemara says, but for his honor, why don't we let him have an anetlar? And it uses that word. It's a Greek word. And it means a representative or something like that. So the, the Yerushami wants to know, for the Kayan Gadol's dignity, let him have an anetlar, which makes it sad. And the Gemara's answer is, yeah, but you could do that for the tainus. You could do that for the back and forth. But for the shvua, the oath, you can't have the lawyer take the oath. That's what the Gemara there says. So it sounds like a lawyer is okay, at least for the defendant, that a lawyer is okay. But this turned into a major machloikas under Rishonim. Why? Some people said, no, normally a, a lawyer is not okay. We want, the, we want the regular balay din in court. A koyen gadol, there was an exception for him. So that's a machloikas the Rishonim. And by the way, this gets into a whole other topic, a fascinating topic, is this does not halacha like lawyers? Does you have it in Bataydin where you have a toyin? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? People have very strong opinions about this. It's, very, it's a fascinating soar, uh, discussion. And this Gemara, this Yerushalmi, is central to that discussion. So the Ritva is here summarizing, saying, look, it's a, it's a dispute. Some people think a defendant could hire a lawyer, some people think a defendant can't. Now look what he says. Let me tell you, the whole debate is if the defendant is a man if we're dealing with a modest woman, who doesn't go out in, self, in front in the presence of self-respecting men, then everyone agrees that she could hire a lawyer, because we have the pasik of Bas basmelech penima. So in other words, there's this real thing of women who don't go out. And this is... A reality that he's talking about that's a real reality and so much so that even a view that usually doesn't allow a lawyer is going to hear bend over to say you know something but i have this value of coke, food of us, so i'm going to say that women uh, are, are going to be the exception to the rule and they're going to have the lawyer he then goes on to the next paragraph to say what if the husband is afraid that the lawyer is trying to create a wedge between them her lawyer may have an interest for some reason that they should be in a bigger dispute, a bigger fight, and maybe separate and divorce. So he writes over there that what the court does is they send a shliach, a Bezden, to the house. They listen to what she's saying. They make sure, oh, that's what the lawyer said in court. It's in sync. And then we know that we can rely on the lawyer and we're, and we're happy and, 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 we de- and that's how we deal with it. So now there are other sources who disagreed with the fact that she could hire a lawyer with the Rizva. But they, what's the, what do they say? They say, just send the Shliach Bez into the house and get an affidavit and take testimony because of Kol for the Malach Prima. So what's interesting about the ritva is that he's willing to, so to speak, bend the halacha in order to preserve this value. But at the end of the day, other rishonim in svard I, I failed to say, in svard meaning the Rimi Gash, and the people who lived in the prior generations in this is something that they recognize as, a, uh, as an important thing and as a reality in their day. Put it together with the Rambam, put it together with those fiery sources and how they see Dina, a clear picture emerges. On the other hand, let's go to the Ashkenazi sources. And here we're going to see some interesting things. <coughs> so we're going to begin here with the Ravan. Ravan is Rabbi Eliezer ben Nosen. His dates are usually given as 1090 Call eleven seventy. It's roughly Rabenu Tam's dates. Roughly Rabenu Tam's dates. He says as follows: Nishalti. I was asked a question. Al Reuven, A case of Ruvein, Shatov. It's obviously all these. Uh, these are John Doe's. Chatava, Aisha Shimon Ladin, who sued the wife of Shimon Al and because he had a deposit. He left a deposit with her, right? Let's say he borrowed money from her and he left a deposit with her and a collateral. And now there's some dispute about the collateral or it could be some other case. The bottom line is he claims he has property that Shimon's wife has. Okay, now Shimon comes, he's a smart guy, and he comes with a whole bunch of arguments of why his wife shouldn't be able to be sued and the whole case should be dropped and thrown out of court. And it's actually complicated because he says two or three uh, different arguments, which are not going to, it's not really relevant. One of the arguments that he says is he says there, there is a Talmudic source for this idea that a man doesn't want his wife to be uh, undergo the, um, the disparaging situation in Beisden. What's the adam Lashen? What's the context here? It's actually a machloikis. It has to do with Nedorim. You know, a neder, you need to come in front of a rabbi, you need to say, had I known that it would have had these implications, I never would have made this neder or not. So without getting into all the details, the question is, does a man... Is a man comfortable with his wife going through that process in Bezdin? So Rabbi Eliezer says, Rabbi Eliezer? Yeah, Rabbi Eliezer says, no, a man is not comfortable with, a wife, uh, with his wife going through that process in Bezdin. Ramir says, yes, a man is comfortable with a woman, his wife going through that process in Bezdin. So this guy, Shimon, whose wife is the defendant here, said, I, yeah, like Rabbi Eliezer, I don't want my wife to undergo that process of the nether in Bezdin, so therefore you gotta drop the whole case and I don't want this. So what did Ravan say? Ravan says, first of all, who said Rabbi Eliezer is right? Maybe Rabbi Meir is right. And the halach is that there's absolutely no problem to go and, 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 uh, and, and men aren't, so to speak, bothered by this. Then he went on to say another thing. Even if you're going to tell me that Rabbi Eliezer is right, when is Rabbi Eliezer right? By Nidorim. Why Nidorim? Because the Rav has to ask questions and get into details. And it could be private so that a man doesn't want that his wife should go to Besdin and they get into the private affairs of the house, that's where he doesn't want it. But here, what is it? Here's a regular shvua about you owe me money, you don't owe me money, I'm sorry. Uh, there's no reason why she shouldn't have to go to Besdin in order to make this shvua. And then comes the important paragraph that we're going to learn together on the left column. Chol This is true. The idea that the woman should be forced into court. In order to give a shvua is true in our day. In our day, meaning in the 1100s. Why? Because what's the reality in our day? apitroipis <laughs> ois. The women are the apitroipes, meaning they're the ones who are custodians. They are, uh, if you want to say, uh, they're agents, business agents. The chanuniois. They run shops. The nois nois the nois nois. That's masa omaton. They engage in commerce, in business. They're giving and taking, buying and selling. The they borrow and lend. Remember, money lending is a big business for Jews at this time. they collect payment and they make payment. they give collateral and they're taking collateral. So he makes this whole list that really portrays women as being very integrated into the economy in the 1100s, in where he's living in uh, in Ashkenaz on the in, in the Rhineland. If you're going to come and tell me that women don't have to swear for their business matters, you're not going to let anyone remain alive. What does that mean? People are going to stop doing business with them. I cannot do business with a woman because she's going to be too much of a financial risk because she always could say, I'm not coming to court and I'm not going to do a shvua. says the Ravan So therefore, we know that Chachamim sometimes did an economic intervention and changed something in order that the economy should flourish. So there's takana ha-shuk, that they should not refrain from a shvua, even if Alpidin, he doesn't think Alpidin they have a way out, but even if Alpidin, there was an excuse that a woman wouldn't have to show up for the shvua, we should say that we're going to make a takonas ha and say they have to come to show up for the shvua. Kedah ash kacham as we find in numerous places, the We see the Chachamim wanted the marketplace to work efficiently. And if something's getting in the way, they dealt with it. And that would be something getting in the way. What would be something getting in the way? If you had a situation in where a significant percentage of daily life would be impeded because now men can't trust what's going on because they don't have the tool of Shavua, which was a huge tool in the Middle Ages to ensure honesty even if it were right, which it's not, he says, but even if it were right that she cannot be obligated to shvua, nonetheless, we should be giving her a shvua. This is a very different picture. Here you're seeing a picture of, there's no way you can do all of these activities uh, while you're remaining at home and uh, this is its obviously portraying a very different reality. A reality, could you imagine a biblical commentator living during that century and saying, oh yeah, the very fact that she went out was problematic. All of a sudden you start seeing why it just wouldn't make sense. There's another expression of this that comes out in the din of Yichud. The Gemara and Aved and Davchov Gimel says that a woman, a Jewish woman, should not have Yichud with a non-Jew. Now the truth is, it sounds a little odd because a Jewish woman should not have Yichud with a Jew as well. So the Gemara clarifies with a Jew, if a Jew's wife is together with him, then there isn't a problem for Yichud with another woman. Why? Because the man is together with his own wife, so we assume everything is going to be okay. When, however, it's a non-Jew, Yichud is also even if he's with his wife. Why? Because things could happen even if his wife is, is there. Okay, that's the din. And the Gemara assumes on Da'af Chav Gimel that if a woman violated that rule, then we have to assume the worst actually happened. That what? That she was raped. Now, if you're assuming that, there's an implication. What's the implication? The implication is that if a woman married to a koyen, had Yichud with a non-Jew, then the Gemara is assuming a filu de the Gemara is a di de Even if she did it, even if it's already in the past, nonetheless, we have to suspect that an actual rape happened with the non-Jew. That's how serious... This is, there is, even though he was with his wife, the non-Jew was. Okay, so now, Toysus is like, oh, that's a big problem. Why is that a big problem? Well, before we get to Toysus, let's go to Sefart. If you say in Spain, and you're in a place where Bahlah women aren't going out of the house, what's the problem? So you have a din. What's the din say? The din says that if a woman had Yichud with a non-Jew, even if the non-Jew's wife is there, so then we assume the worst happened. Okay, when does that happen? How does that happen? If women aren't going out, how often does such a thing happen? It could happen, we understand, but it's not. it doesn't raise any question. It doesn't raise any problems. But for Ashkenazi, that assumption in the Gemara right now raises a huge problem. And look at the way Teusvitz, uh asks the question. Tema, I'm bewildered. Im Cain, if this is right, L'hinachta la bas l'avram avinu, You do not let any Jewish woman, a daughter of Avram, Asha's koyin, the wife of a koyin, no koyin could remain married to his wife. Look at Taisa's statement. No koyin could be married to his wife. Why? Because every koyin's wife is having yichud with a non-Jew. Why is every koyin's wife having yichud with a non-Jew? Oh, because if you know the ravan and you saw that what was going on over there, the way they're integrated in the economy, that's why. The E it is impossible. Taisa says, "You're going to tell me that even for a five-minute uh, thing, the yichud is a problem." And so if you just told me, it's a problem," okay. So we try to avoid it, and if it happens, it happens. But we try to avoid it. But you're telling me that even b'di'avit, if it happens, she's aser labila So basically, tell every wife that's married to a that she's aser labila because in the reality that they're living in, that's what it is. What if Taisa's go on to say, "Nah, that's not really what the Gemara means." He goes on to say, it's only a real problem if she's a captive. If she's a captive, the non-Jew is in control. Then we're taka worried with the Aisha's Asha's Kayin that she was raped and there's taka Iser for her to return to her husband because when he's in control over her and he, so to speak, uh, ha- it has her in his control, then we could worry that a rape happened. But in a regular business setting, we're in the language that he says, she could yell out and she could be saved. So then, we assume that he's scared, and we're not going to answer. Doesn't mean it's muta It's not muta but we're not going to answer this type of yichud. Here, you see language again, where he's basically saying that is basically reflecting this idea that avatei to say avatei means that in and of itself, leaving the home is problematic. Just doesn't seem to really fly so well in uh, in, in Ashkenaz. Now, in that light, I want to uh, uh, introduce you or reintroduce you a very interesting woman who lived during this period in time. And she's actually a Kadaisha because she was killed. Um, this is, her name was dalsa And her husband's name is one of the most famous Rishonim. We've spoken about him numerous times in these classes. His name was Rabbi Lazar of Worms. And he's the Rekeach. And basically, Rabbi Lazar of Worms, he authored a sefer called the Rekeach. He was very, very important. He lived in Worms. And he wrote many important svarim and his influence on Yiddishkeit has been very significant in numerous ways. In recent years, more and more of his stuff have been revealed and have been published, including a little memoir he wrote about the killing of his wife. Let's read what he says over here. Yeah. So it was in the year, this is printed in the book, Zeres Ashkenaz Sarfas, page 164. In the year, Taf Taf Kuf Nun Zayin LePrat. That means it was the year 1197, according to my math. Khaf Beis kisle. So it's coming up. I finished writing my commentary on Parshas Vayeshe, which is also coming up. I was sitting at home at my table. Two misumanim, people who have been, people wearing symbols came. The assumption is that it's like during the time of the Crusaders, many of the Crusaders would wear like a cross on their garments that it probably means something like that. This is not during one of the crusades. I don't believe 1197 was during any one of the crusades. They took out their swords. My pious wife, they struck her. His daughter, Balat. The older one. Okay, they... they, they, they split her skull. They killed her too. And then in the next paragraph, and I took this out, he goes on to describe their wounds in great detail and exactly how they died. And it's really, it's really heart-wrenching to, to read this. shavua. About a week later, they found the murderer. It's interesting he says it in singular because earlier he said there was two people. And he was condemned to death. So in other words, the non-Jewish authorities are the ones who Found him uh, and executed him. I'm missing everything. I don't. I'm lacking. Great um, pain. Now he writes as follows. I want to tell you before she was killed. So now he starts singing her praises. She would buy parchment in order to write books. As we know, not only Sifrei Torah today, only Sifrei Torah, but then other manuscripts as well. Very often, that were or most often were written on parchment. Who bought the parchment? Dolce, his wife, bought the parchment. She supported me. My sons and daughter daughters from other people's money. What does it mean from other uh, people's money? Other people's money probably means, presumably means that uh, money lending. In other words, she would lend someone $100, uh, $100 and then she would get back you know, with interest $500 and so that, that's how they lived. We know many Jews did that. But who was running the money lending show? Dolce was running the money-lending show. She worked hard. So the idea of a lakewood koilo, a guy's learning, or the wife working, you see the rekeach had that. Okay. And woe to me that I lost them. How much blood was spilled. They died in front of my eyes. May Hashem show us the retribution. Have pity on their souls. And have pity on the Jewish people who remain. And on my children because his daughters were killed, but his son survived. I'll call Yisrael Amoy Ami. Now, after this, he also wrote a poem, Akina, for his wife, that's on the theme of Eshaz Chayil. So it's a beautiful thing, and really you should look at the whole thing. But I just want to show you a few lines. So it begins like this, Eshaz Chayil Miyimca, Ki Sheishti HaChasidah So here he's praising his wife, he's saying, my wife Dalta, uh, was Eshaz uh, Chayil. And look what he says here. She would daven in in the morning and night. And to she would go early and be there late. This is a woman who went to Shul every day in the weekday. Okay, notice the rhyme. But she went to Shul every day, morning and night. She opened her mouth with wisdom. She knew the halachas. uh, She was an intelligent woman. And she was a learned woman. Then as On the day of Shabbos, she would hear her husband's speech. Her husband gave a drasha in shul. She came to shul to hear the speech. And then, She's at snoa In other words, there is no contradiction. For the rekev, there's no contradiction between being modest, snoa but at the same time, someone who went out every single day and went out every single Shabbos, and moreover, was running an entire business and a side gig of preparing svarim, we also know from the Eshes Chal, she was making tzitzis, And he goes into this, this is a very industrious woman. She's getting a lot of things done. Obviously, out of the home. But it's not a contradiction for a Yidden Ashkenaz living in the 1100s. It was possible to do this in a way that was a Sniyaz Dikot. Okay, so I think we painted a little bit of a picture over here. Uh, these two different approaches to the Vatei Tzedina. We see it in the Pshat. We see it in the Pshat, whether you say something, whether you don't say something, and how you say something. Really, I showed you it's already rooted in the midrashim, where you see these two voices in the midrashim, and then you see it in the halacha, in the halakha as well. So the last part, huh? You're now also in culture. There. Yeah, yeah. There's differences in different cultures today about how uh, it's uh, how Tzinius is done. So let's actually look. That's a good transition to see the Sikha of the rebbe on this subject. What's the Sikha? So the Sikha is like this. The whole time we ignored Rashi, really. Rashi, we're going to take a look at Rashi, what Rashi says, and uh, let's read it, and let's analyze it, and let's see what the Rebbe said about this Rashi. Rashi addresses the question of why it says basleah. Everyone has this question. Why does it say basleah? Zok Rashi basleah of bas Yaakov, not the daughter of Yaakov. Ella al-shem nikras basleah, because she went out, that's why she's called Bas Leia because Leah also went out. She also went out. Now, on the one level, you could have come and say, where did Rashi get this from? We know where he got it from. That's a Tanchuma. And we know the Tanchuma's approach. A Tanchuma is not happy with women going out. So that's one way to look at this Rashi. The Rashi is not happy with women uh, going out as well. And that's a very, fe- it's a fair way to read this Rashi. And many of the Rashi's commentators have said that that's pretty much uh, what, uh, what Rashi means. Um, obviously, if you say that, then it, it, it is a little bit of, a, of an outlier from all the things that I've been saying this evening because then here you would have a source within Ashkenaz bringing the idea that going out in and of itself without any other commentary was a problem. And if so, this is very unique because we don't find that in Ashkenaz. Okay, however... You really, and definitely this was the Rebbe's approach to Rashi, is you need to look at Rashi with a fresh eye. You cannot come to Rashi with the baggage from the Medrash, And you need to look at this Rashi and forget anything that you know about the Medrashim. And once you do that and you look at the language here, do you find anything condemning here? No, you don't find. All you find is the theme of emulation. Emulating, Leah went out, you went out, that's all. There is no judgment that is here in this Rashi. And so therefore the Rebbe's approach is, that's, only, that's the only way you read this Rashi. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. Anything of the sort. In fact, to the contrary, you go back. And what did Rashi himself tell you about Leah going out? Rashi himself in Parashat Tzayetis said Leah going out was a very noble thing. She had a tithe to have more shvatim. That's a beautiful thing. So if we have any information, it's positive that Dino went out like Leah went out. Leah, we know, went out in a positive way. There is no language over here of anything else. And so therefore, if anything, it leads us to say that Dino went out also in a positive way. So this is the Rebbe's approach to reading Rashi that you kind of have to forget all the background of where it, it, it came from. Okay, so now what? One second. So what is, so, so why is it a good thing? So with Leah, we know why it was a good thing. She wanted more Shvatim, so she went out. She had such a taiva to tell Yaakov, by the way, we're going to be together tonight. She had some fun. With Dino, what's the Milo? What was the advantage? So this is another Rashi. Rebbe explains the other Rashi is that Dina was supposed to be offered to uh, Esau which is a very very bizarre thing and, they, and Yaakov was punished for not sh- uh, allowing Dina to be to be married to Esau what does that show you that Dina had the power to influence obviously there's only one way to understand that if you're going to say that Dina should have been given to Esau it means that Dina had the ability to be bring Esau to Tshuva and the truth is that in the model of Tzaddik and Balishuva, Yishuvah, is the avoidant of a Tzaddik, perfection, right? Torah describes her as perfect. Leah crying, that represents the avoidant of the Baal Shuvah The Baal Shuvah brings himself, herself or himself back into the fold. So that also represents the avoidant of bringing other people back into the fold. In other words, we see that Leah had the power to bring people in. Dina had the power to bring of in. And that is why Vateitze Dina the Rebbe learns. Vateitze Dina was a good thing. Lidoi Spivno Yisharet was for what? To be mashpia on to have an influence on the benais haaretz. We know that a Jew is supposed to have a positive influence in the surroundings. So the Rebbe says that's you could read that in Rashi just as well as you could read anything else. She went out to see and, and to and and to, and to influence. And just like by Leo was a positive, and Leo represents the avodah of the b'altuveh, bringing negative into positivity. Dina, we know we were told is supposed to do that with herself. So here she's going ahead and she's doing it. And therefore, what's the hayra? The is in number 26. Here is the relevant message for Jews today. Yes, there is that value. There is this concept of the home. There is that concept. The main task of a woman is um, is to establish a Jewish home. Which that is why they need to be home. It seems like the stress is here more on the family and home rather than modesty per se at least that's my uh, reading over here Nonetheless, if you have the unique talents where you're able to influence on the outside, if women have that ability, they should use this quality but in a modest way to bring people to serve the Abishur and to influence other Jewish women who are outside. And to go out and to meet them there and to bring them Lamutov. Obviously this whole effort, this whole project, has to be done in a tunistic way, like the Rake said about his wife. Even in outwardness, you need to see the, the value of modesty. nonetheless together with, being really careful about tnius, this is the job that they need to do. So, here you have the Rebbe's Hashkafa, uh, and uh, he, the Rebbe sees that in the, Pas- in, the, in the Pasuk of Dina, and in the Rashi uh, of Dina. So, I, I personally found this very interesting to kind of see these different perspectives in Medrash, moreover to see it in the Pshat, in but what people say, what people don't say, and then most importantly, how it reflects itself in the halacha. And so here we see, look, there is the value. is a value that is an important Jewish value. What exactly that means? Yes, there are some elements of sneas that are, so to speak, universal, right? Universal, all times, all places, whatever. There are elements of tznias that are not universal. And then at each time, at each place, it needs to be done in its way. And uh, I don't think once we shouldn't get too judgmental on the svardim. The svardim shouldn't get too judgmental on us. We should all respect that there was different ways of doing this. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to live that value. What exactly it means to live that that value meant different things. And that influences how you see a Pasek, how you touch a Pasek. And even as we saw, it influences the Halacha as well.